0: Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Still Mama Tribe podcasts. We're your hosts, Megan and Sarah. You can find me, Megan, at Ayla and Leo on Instagram and Sarah at, at Life with Sarah Jade. And today we are interviewing Lacey Barrett.
1: Lacey Barrett is a pioneer in the birth industry, paving the way for a more inclusive, dynamic and unapologetically raw content through visual arts. As a doula, she pushes the boundaries, of what women think they are capable of, helping them to break free of any societal norms or standards by understanding they are their own individual with individual needs. Lacey makes sure that her imagery is nothing less than artful and educational, striving to help women gain knowledge through her images.
0: Welcome Lacey.
1: So Lacey, what would you like to tell us a little um, bit about yourself and what you do.
2: Yeah, so I am Lacey Barrett and I am a birth photographer and a doula and I love um, women and birth stories and all birth stories.
0: I love how you just said all birth stories is a nice keyword there. Mm. Uh, Just before we came in to start recording today, we were sitting around having a cup of tea and chatting with Lacey about A little bit about your story and what you do and something that really stands out to me is how inclusive you are in celebrating all forms of birth and life in all stages. Yeah. Would you like to jump in a little bit and tell us about some of your thoughts
2: around that? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, just a little story, like a backstory of kind of what led me to where I'm at now is I'd say about four years ago now, I documented a birth, um, where baby was not born with the most optimal outcomes. And, um, I was very distraught and I actually walked out of that birth space and, um, went home and well, actually I left that birth and went straight to another one, <laughs> which probably wasn't the best thing mentally for me to do. Cause I've just carried one shitty energy into another great birth space. Um, but I ended up going home later that evening and actually throwing my camera on the bed and crying and my husband saying, what, you know, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. Like I am a birth photographer. I photograph births and he goes, but that was a birth. So, it wasn't the best outcome, but, um, it was still a birth and damn you husband with your clever little things to turn stuff around. Um, it was really a, a, a massive mind blowing thing, I guess for me, um, because it really made me sit back and reassess how I saw birth and just how inclusive birth really is of all scenario situations vaginal c-section thriving not thriving um and what really birth all encompasses so
1: and i love that that came from him too <laughs> of all of all people around in you know, the like i've obviously i've met matt a couple of times and yeah. like you know it's it's it. it, it, it he really, he is a unique soul. He really is. He's so.
2: very, very unique.
1: <laughs> so when, when, when these certain things come up, I'm like, wow, he really blows my mind. Yeah. So things that, because I, you know, it, it's, it's always, um, you become like, you know, we we'll always judge someone, but he just he comes up with these moments that I hear and I'm like. Wow. He really, he's, he's really got something like he taps into some amazing things. He does.
2: He's this, he's like your typical Aussie bloke. He's like this big burly man and um, very, very opposite to me. He's 11 years older than me. So we don't quite seem to look like we're, you know, the perfect couple that you would envision, you know, someone (laughs) A normal, quote unquote, normal couple to be with, um, but he does have his very clever moments. <laughs> yes, and that was definitely one of them. It was
1: it really, has, you know, obviously defined so much for you and what you do. It has it. Really com-
2: it completely reshaped my path, like put me on a completely different path to what I do, and changed a lot of the way I was thinking in that space and altered, not just my thinking, but how I reacted in those situations. So thanks husband. So pivoting
0: off of this story, could you tell us about the next time that you experienced a birth that didn't have an optimal outcome and what was different in that moment for you?
2: Yeah, I photographed, um, twins, not very long after that. And, um, they had twin to twin syndrome and both babies ended up passing um at i think it was 19 weeks gestation um and i wasn't actually present for the birth for that um that specific birth but i was there immediately after to document that for mom and dad um and there's just so many variables when you walk into those spaces and i think having someone who is well informed, um, in what they do as far as me as a birth photographer and a doula, it's, it's very important for me to know what language I should be using, what language I should not be using and body language and, you know, energies. Like I have to make sure that I am in check before I walk into that space because if I've had a shitty day or I'm angry at my kids or my husband or best friend, cousin twice removed, um, and I walk into a space with a crappy energy, I've just made a crappy situation even crappier. So knowing exactly how to hold space and what that means, um, and, your intentions when you walk into birth spaces. Um, and it's not just for women who have lost babies, but also, um, women who are having thriving babies. So being able to understand that that energy can make or break a space, um, is really, really important. And so I'm actually really kind of glad that I didn't photograph that birth specifically those twins, just because I, wasn't quite there yet. Like that epiphany that hubby said had just happened. I wasn't quite there yet. Um, but, uh, I did end up going, um, and, and documenting that for her. And she was just so thrilled and over the moon to have something that, cause what I find is, um, with pictures, mental pictures, should I say, um, we, we have this vision of what, our baby looked like and then we have this vision after so long of what our baby kind of looked like and then this vision of what we think our baby looked like and so because it's because you don't have something hard copy to look at your memories are fading and so like when I think about family members who have passed away years and years ago until I see a picture of them I'm like oh yes that's what she looked like. And so having images, um, and I've probably gotten way off topic, but I don't even remember what the original question was, but that's okay. We'll keep going with it. Um, having those images is something that is so important because it allows for women to have those, and not just women, but families, um, in general, to have those images to look back on, because it helps heal bad births and it helps prolong the oxytocin of a really great birth
0: mm, that is so beautiful. I love that last statement. Would you like to dive in a little bit um, a little bit more about the necessity of taking birth photos? I, you just touched on it there, but I feel like there's a little bit more that we could go into in terms of helping to prolong births of all kinds and to help hold space for memories
2: yeah so I obviously as a birth photographer I'm very partial to having photos taken um and what started out as my mom actually asked me when I was pregnant with our first baby if I was gonna have Matt my husband take pictures while I was having the baby and I was like mortified <laughs> mom, why would you say such a horrible thing? Um, and Matt and I both decided that nobody needed to see me like that. And those were his exact words. No one needs to see you like that. And so I had kind of been given this, not shameful, but this private, you know, um, vision of what I didn't know what birth was, but I thought I knew what birth was. Um, and so, you know, we had Sam and 12 months later, you, you post your images on Facebook and then time hop pops up 12 months later. And I had three photos from that day and that was it. Um, and I remember texting my mom on his birthday going, um, I wish I had taken photos. And so, and by that time we were pregnant with our second and I was like, I'm going to get a birth photographer this time. And I didn't. I was actually shooting birth at that time, which is really funny. Um, But having those images really helps you to unpack everything that happened or that you didn't know happened or that you thought happened. And I was just saying earlier before we started, I thought that our fifth baby was born at like nine thirty, and he was actually born almost at like 11. <laughs> and so I've got an entire hour and a half that I have no idea what happened or I do now because I have it, photos of that. But, and so when women and families come and they hire me, to take photos of the birth, um, one of the number one questions that I get asked is, um, what if something bad happens? And, um, and if they don't ask me, I ask them. And I know that that's really awkward to say, but I actually have a clause in my contract, uh, that says that I will continue documenting despite what is happening. Um, I just don't photograph, um, medical procedures. Um, but other than that, I'm shooting everything I possibly can. And some parents will go, no, I'd prefer it if you don't. Um, and I just, I'll just let them know I'll take it and I'll pull it out of your gallery. And, you know, in six weeks and six months and six years, when you're ready to look at that, just know that I've got it. Um, And I think that that makes all the difference because when you have this really joyous, ecstatic birth, um, I find uh, like after I free birthed our third baby, I, um, I didn't sleep for like a week. I swear I was so high because I, you know, I had done it. We, we did what we wanted. And then I remember on like day five, I just had this massive migraine because I, I hadn't slept since I had him. Um, and, and I just kept going back and looking through those pictures and looking through those pictures. Whereas, um, and that is because I had those pictures to look at. So usually around day two or three, you kind of start to burn out and get tired, but I had those pictures that I was looking at and I'm on day five and I'm still not sleeping. And so being able to relive that with those visuals, um, really just, it, it was able to help keep that, um, that postpartum depression away and those baby blues. And, um, because I was constantly getting an oxytocin hit every time I looked at my photos, which thank God they were digital because if they were printed, (laughs) they would have been dirty and tattered. Um, but I did, I looked at them over and over and over. Um, and it's the same thing for when you've got birth experiences that don't go to plan. Um, having the, that photograph to be able to look at timestamps and look at who did what at what time and what was going on and being able, you know, like if your babies come in and you think it's at one time and you're like, Oh, that happened after I thought that was, and then it all just kind of makes sense. Um, and that is the logic sides of our brain. Because when we're in labor, we've got, you know, adrenaline and oxytocin and all of these these different hormones, and it triggers f- fight or flight, um, fight or flight. And uh, typically, you know, we're designed to not think. And that is what my job as a doula is, is to make sure that you're not thinking in those situations. So, you know, you shouldn't have to ask for water. You shouldn't have to ask, can I go to the toilet? Somebody should just be doing it or giving it to you or making it available to you. Um, and so because things don't go to plan, um, you tend to miss all of those smaller details and then after it's all said and done and you're left in a room maybe with your baby or without your baby if they're a NICU you're like what the fuck just happened
1: yeah and that's like why you know for me to look over um you know obviously my birthing photos with Axel that you took
2: mm.
1: even though I was so Present mm-hmm. and was like, No, nah, not having drugs because I'm gonna remember this because that's all I've got. Yeah, I mean, even then, going over it, I'm like, Oh, like actually, yeah, as you said, like time stamping everything, you're kind of like, Oh, yeah, okay, that happened then, that happened then, rather than what I thought it was sort of, it does still end up getting a bit muddled in and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's really nice to sort of literally, even though. For me, sometimes I can't look at them because they're really hard. Mm. Um, But it's still something that I will never regret ever having. Yeah. So even though it's nice to have the after photos, but actually having the birthing photos, um, which is something that I really, really strongly wanted, regardless of the outcome, I think it was really important to have. So, and it's obviously, it's not for everybody, but I think it's always something that I always suggest to people to make sure you don't want to look back and regret anything because once you know that there's something wrong or your baby has died, that's it. Those moments will be over and that's it. So there will never be enough photos. (laughs) There will never be enough time because that's all you have. And I think it's really important for people to remember and understand that um, if you have the opportunity and you have support, you may as well seize that opportunity and make sure that you have anything you possibly can to look back on, um, whether it be photographic or whether it be hand print moulds or whatever it is that you need to help you. Yeah, it's it's really, really important.
2: Yeah, I think what a lot of families are looking for in those moments are answers. Why? Why? Why did this happen? What happened? Where did this happen? Where did it go wrong? What, when, where, why, and how? And when you've got that documented, now I'm not saying documented as in I'm looking at the midwife waiting for them to do something wrong. God, no. By by no means is that what I am there for. But um, I'm I'm there to document the social connections between mother, baby, and birth partner. And that's essentially what My goal is for every single birth that I walk into, be it, you know, baby is thriving well and happy or baby is born still and sleeping. It is all about the social connections. When you strip away C-section, when you strip away vaginal, when you strip away thriving, and when you strip away stillborn, it's all about the social connections. And that's ultimately what I exist to breathe for. (laughs)
1: thanks to Matt <laughs> thanks Matt <laughs> um, yeah so just going off that a little bit do you is there something what can you tell other like birth photographers anybody within the professional space what are some really big key things for you obviously with you know we know language is really important for you holding this space is really important so what are some things very big key things that you can let others know that what they definitely should be doing walking into that space
2: i think when you are walking into a space whether it be expected or unexpected uh, loss that it's really important to be very clued in on your death literacy and that just simply means how you talk about death Um, and understanding that birth is birth and that Sometimes babies die um, and that we can't walk into every single birth expecting, oh, we're going to have this happy, joyous, incredible moment again today and again today because there is a such thing as statistics. And I'm not saying that I'm running my business by statistics at all, but I'm just saying from an emotional standpoint that I have to prepare myself every single time I walk into a birth space that I can't be naive and think that the things I said earlier is I think um and some people might disagree with me and that's totally fine but I think I'm sorry for your loss is such a bullshit um conversation starter because what are you what are you supposed to say oh it's okay thanks like what do you say from that and so instead of saying I'm sorry for your loss why don't you say hey congratulations Like it just changes the energy of that room and it changes the perceptions of the parents and it changes the valid from validation from empty space to being validated like hell yeah we just did that because no matter how you look at it you still birth a baby you still are holding a baby you still are going to go through postpartum, you are still going to bleed, you're still going to produce milk, you're still going to go through all of the same things that you would. And so being able to validate or help validate that process um, for the parents is only going to help bring normality to those situations and let them know that it's okay um, to do whatever it is that they want to do in that moment, whether it's, laugh, cry. I mean, everyone deals with grief a little bit different. There's always that one that likes to laugh at funerals. So (laughs) from my
1: experience, obviously I know that it never really occurred to me, um, just with the use of language, um, with what had happened in the birth space. And I know that we had spoken about it not long after and, Um, and you had actually said to me, I don't know whether you remember, but the obstetrician had actually come in, um, when she came in, obviously to do a check and see how dilated I was and had said, I'm hi, Sarah, I'm really sorry that we're meeting under these circumstances. And I really loved your white use of language in the space and how you kind of turned that if you want to explain how you did that. Yeah.
2: Um, I think, I think that, Well, first of all, what I said was, oh, actually, this is really great circumstances that we're meeting under because Sarah gets to meet Axel today. Sarah and Tim get to meet Axel today. Um, And it's just those little, like, language barriers, I guess, um, that can really take a bad situation and make it even shittier. Like, you already know that you've lost your baby. We don't need reminders And so being able to hold that space and change that, you know, energy around in that room and the vibrations and how everything is kind of meshing together, um, is really important. And, and as a doula and a birth photographer, um, you need to be able to hold that space. Um, because if you're not, then situations just go from bad to worse.
0: Very true. really love how you've used your language there and and it's not just a small change it's a small no it's not even a small tool it's an easy tool to use to make a huge change but it requires a lot of thought and insight to be able to perceive that moment where you can step in and bring that energy back up or help to maintain it as well so I think that that's really lovely I hope that people take that away from this episode plus all the other gems that they're going to get. Um, Now, another person that is really significant in the birthing room, wherever that may be, is often the partner. Yeah. And as a photographer and a doula, I would love it if you could speak a little bit to the partner's involvement, maybe in the birthing process and or things that you think um, the birthing mother would be able to direct their partner to do if needed, or the, as a photographer, you could direct the partner to participate or things where you could see the partner be involved in.
2: Yeah, especially with with birth partners um, and more particularly uh, men that are birth partners, they tend to want to be the fixers. And so when their um, woman is in labour um, she's broken and they can't fix them. And that is probably one of the single most difficult things for men to be able to, um, what's the word digest, I guess that, you know, they can't do anything. And that's very, very difficult for them. So getting them active in the birth space as, okay, you can't fix her because she's not really broken. (laughs) Um, but there are amazing things that you can do to help her get through this contraction right here, right now. And I often find that, um, not all the time, but you know, people like my husband in in particular, (laughs) um, he's very much so like, a you're doing great. You're doing great. And I'm like, come give me a kiss. Um, and so what my job is on the sidelines is to push those boundaries, I guess, as far as I can, um, without getting like physical, not verbal and physical pullback. So if I can go to a partner and say, Hey, why don't you go sit next to her? Um, and i and I don't get fought on that. Then I'll take it to the next step. Hey, why don't you give her a kiss? And then I'll take it to the next step and the next step and the next step until, you know, it's just because mom isn't going to be verbal about what she wants. Not all the time. I have heard very many (laughs) screaming women about why aren't you touching me? Um, And then I have lots of women who are just very quiet and inward and they don't verbalize anything that they need. Um, And so that's my job as doula is to read that sometimes I'm wrong. (laughs) I've sent partners in and the woman has gone, don't touch me. And I'm like, yeah, I misread that one. Um, but you know, activity with, with the partners in that space, it helps keep them connected to the woman and to the baby. And it's no longer, yes, birth is about the woman, but it's no longer about her, but it's now about creating families. And that is what the end goal of having a baby is, is yes, it's about the woman and it's about her autonomy and her birth choices, but it's also about creating families and you can't have families without the birth partner. So,
0: and just before we started, I wonder if you want to jump in in a sec, Sarah, and if you would like to tell us a little bit about the story of helping your partner, Tim, kind of become a part of the process of Axel coming into the world.
1: Yes. Lacey was there. She, she knows a lot and, um, we'll get, we'll get into that. Cause obviously, uh, you know, for my, my husband in both births that I have had, he is just a very silent type. He will sit in the corner, he'll do whatever he thinks he needs to do. Um, And always looking back on, he said, you know, especially going into the birth with Axel, he just said, "Oh, I just felt very overwhelmed because there were more people there than he sort of obviously for him is comfortable with." But it wasn't, you know, for him and as any birth partner should be. Yes, they're included, but it still can't just become about them. They have to remember that it's not them physically going through it; that they're there for the support, and regardless of your birth outcome and especially with loss you are still a family at the end of the day and your baby still matters so I think it's really important for people that birth partner to remember that they have a massive role to play and that it is okay to be there it is okay to hold their baby afterwards it's okay to You know to not also be okay you know gosh if they feel like crying it's okay to cry as well like you know that's that's your space to be able to do it too because it isn't yes it is about the mother but it isn't also about the mother it is your baby that you have lost as well Um, if you don't want to cry as well then that's fine too (laughs) but Tim for example he just really um, he just felt pretty overwhelmed And I know that he, in the end, was quite led by you, Lacey. So if you wanted to tell, um, yeah, sort of talk on your part of what, how you sort of guided him in that sort of space.
2: Yeah. And this was really kind of tricky because I think I had only just met you guys like 12 hours before this. So I wasn't technically – hired as doula, but I felt very compelled to, (laughs) to step in that role. (laughs) Um, and I just saw you on the bed and I saw Tim on the couch and I just saw two very isolated, grieving human beings that were going through the same experience, but separately. And that's exactly what I saw during Axel's labor. And I just couldn't help but think, why are you there and you there? Why don't we come together here? And so, um, and I could just see that Tim was very, um, quiet to himself. Like he was, he was present, but he was present from a distance. Like the verbal, you're amazing. You're doing great. And I just really, um, And this, I'm not trying to make this about me, but, and this is kind of like what I said earlier, if there's no physical or verbal, um, pushback, then you just keep going and keep going. And that was that first little step, which is exactly what I did with Tim is you were sitting on the bed and I went and I grabbed a chair and I sat it next to the bed and I was like, Hey, Tim, why don't you come sit next to Sarah? Um, and he was like, Oh, oh yeah, I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Um, And then it just kind of went from there, you know, to the next phase and the next phase. Um, And, uh, and it helps them feel more connected and more involved and um, like they're doing something. Like I know my husband is a fixer and I said a little bit about that earlier, but um, he doesn't do very well with like, cuddling he's a great cuddler I don't mean that but when I'm having babies he's very much so like you have your job and that's birthing babies and I have my job and that's cleaning stuff up and keeping the other kids away from you um and so I just want I I when when Everyone needs to feel like they have their job. And when the birth partner is in that situation and they don't know what their job is, then they just tend to do nothing and it causes division in that space. And then the mom's like, well, what are you doing? And the dad's like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And then there's no communication. No one's talking about it and it's just happening. Um, and, and that's another one of those situations that a doula is really great for is to be able to say, Okay. And this is through prenatals and and things like that. But um, I just kind of had to wing it that night and say, I hope this is okay. But you're gonna come sit here now. <laughs> um, and then and then actually from that point, I didn't really need to do anything else. I think I I think he probably just needed that permission to, you know, oh well, yeah, I can do whatever I want because this is my wife, this is my baby, this is my family. Um, And so sometimes you just need to break that ice with dads and, um, I find that sometimes they need more support than what (laughs) mom does (laughs) in those situations. But, um, it was beautiful to see from that one little, um, suggestion, uh, what unfolded after that.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, and I think especially probably more for guys, if there's a photographer in the room, it does make him feel a bit more on edge and not as comfortable because it's just, I don't know, it's like, like just obviously with Tim, he's just, it's just not interested um, in that. And that sort of obviously comes from even when you came in to help us vote, like you came in, you offered to come in and photograph um, Axel like a couple of days later and which you Mm. did. And he was just like, no, not interested and he left and that is totally his call and I know in a sense he also probably does regret that a little bit but it just really sometimes does show the difference with guys especially if that's their, um, you know, not every guy feels like that because some guys absolutely love it too but, um, you know, there are, will be a lot of them that just sort of have that, I suppose, that wall up, Um yeah.
2: I think a lot of it is also societal norms and gender roles that women have babies, men provide women stay in the house and clean and cook and take care of the babies and men go out and work and come home and crack that beer at the end of the day. And that is very much so a a gender stereotype. And so so there's this common misconception that, you know, um, women have the babies and women, uh, are nurturing and women do this and that men go out and make the money and come home and crack their beer open. And, um, I think what's really important to understand is that men have feminine energies just as much as they do have The male energy, and the same thing with women that women have those male energies as well. And so, when you have a bunch of men who are preconditioned that are walking around going, I can't show emotion, I can't cry. I can't look this way. I can't, I can't, I can't because I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to make the money. I'm supposed to do whatever it is that society has preconditioned them to or, um, generational things within their families, um, or Hollywood or TV or all of those contributing factors that has made society is what it is today. And so when you've got a man, um, who is, feeling something and not allowed to show that feeling. Whereas women are emotional. They're supposed to bust out crying all the time, right? Especially after they've had a baby or before they've had a baby or if they're on their period or, and that's the point is that it's normal and okay and accepted for women to cry, but it isn't for men. And so being able to have men, um, that can stand up and say, you know, yeah, I went through that. Like, um, Bears of Hope. Um, I can't, I don't remember his name. Um, um, but yes, but there's, there's Bears of Hope and there's Gavin Blue of Heartfelt. And there's very, very, there's lots of men out there that are very ver- verbal about, um, their losses and their feelings. And so I think being able to have men that are in that role that are showing others that, Hey, it's okay. You can verbalize your feelings, uh, is really important, especially for men in that space who maybe feel like they can't. And I know that Tim was not very keen on having photos, but I really wanted to respect that space and not force him into that. Um, and there were other ways that I could incorporate him into photos without him actually being there. So you know things like his belongings and watches, and you know whatever it is um that you can put of Tim in that room, and not just specifically Tim but any anybody in that in that situation um and it's kind of the same thing like with medical procedures, I don't need to photograph you getting an epidural. you know you've had an epidural, I just need to photograph you sleeping, you know like there's other ways to tell that story without actually showing those very physical visuals if that makes sense
0: mm.
1: yeah um yeah i can't remember what the bears of hope what his name is but i know that they have um a men's component which is called beard beards of hope
2: Yes, um, that's it and they
1: do a thing i think it's like runs over a couple of months where they grow their beards and support and they raise money and stuff so sort of like November, but yeah it runs over like the middle of the year and yeah it's it's um Quite interesting, especially talking on the topic of guys. Um, like I came across um, this guy from the UK and he on Instagram and he's like lost his second son same, basically around the same time as me, only just started being a bit more vocal on his Instagram and really write some really, really good stuff. And his grief and how he's put it into words and not all the time, but he just sort of slots it in every so often you know a few little posts and some words and I thought oh my gosh this guy's really tapped into something that I just you just don't see for guys and so I thought I'd send it on to Tim I'm like oh look he's got a beard he grew a beard like you did and he's like a health nut he's because he's a PT and I thought oh you know Tim would really like to follow him and I said he lost his son around the same time as us and I said I really kind of like how he talks um not you know over the top about it But, you know, at least for a guy actually saying something. And I thought, you know, this would be really good. And Tim's like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll follow him, but I'll see how I go. Because for him, he's still at this point, anytime he thinks about it or it brings it up, it's too hard basket. He'd rather not forget, but not be reminded of it all the time. And I think that sort of, in a sense, sort of shows the difference in the grieving of people whether it be the mother or the father but obviously generally for the two genders grieving is so completely different and how they process it and I know that for him his cousins who have been through something similar to us um they had said to him like they didn't crack for about two or three years after and their grief really hit them after the next baby and all this sort of thing. So it's it's very interesting to see the timeline for guys in general and how they process the grief and how different it is. So, yeah, off topic, but, yeah, there we go.
0: (laughs) One thing that I really loved, Lacey, is you discussing the way that you are able to represent things about the subjects that you photograph that aren't necessarily physically present I think that that's really beautiful and is seen very strongly in your perspective and in the art that you create and one thing that you said earlier when we went recording was that you still like to consider a birth of any type and photograph it as such and so even though with for example, a stillbirth, there may not be the opportunity to capture the firsts and the milestones that will be present in thriving births. There are still other opportunities that parents can have to honour their baby in that birthing suite and that photographers or uh, birth support staff can do to help create those memories and to create moments. So I was wondering if you'd like to maybe give a few examples of things that people could take away or things that people might want to jot down if they'd like to have some resources or have a list of things that they'd like to do to help remember their baby.
2: Yeah. There's so many different things that you can do to honor your baby, your body, your pregnancy, your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Uh, a baby dies, it's really important to remember, um, that you're still parents and, you know, that you're acknowledging yourselves as that. And so as a birth photographer, um, when a baby passes, there are so many different things that you can do that people don't realize. And especially I think a, a birth photographer who may not have as much experience in that Um, in that space that they might go, oh, there's nothing to photograph, freak out and leave, Um, which is a normal response. I would encourage you to work on that. Um, But, and to not, and when I say work on that, I mean, don't fear it in a, in a way that you feel like you need to flee because that is when that family needs you the most. Um, But postpartum, instead of photographing the first latch, you might be photographing the first bath, um, or you might be photographing, um, hand casts. If they have chosen to have their baby's hands or feet cast, you might be photographing, um, a first cuddle. You can absolutely still have skin to skin. You can still have all of these moments. And so, you know, moments like that. Um, or it, it might not even be anything in a clinical sense, uh, or uh, sorry, it could mean something in a clinical sense of, you know, baby's birth weight and measurements and head circumference and things like that. Um, I think the best thing to remember is that treating it the same as you would any other birth is the most important thing. And so Um, you can, there might be rituals and things that the mother might want to do, or, you know, you might actually want to go back a couple of days later and depending on the gestation of the baby, they might choose to bury their baby with the placenta or in a, in a, um, a potted plant or, um, sometimes moms will get, um, uh, silk and wrap their baby in the silk and bury them at home, um you know like there's just so many different things that you can do that honor uh family mother baby that you can document after the actual birth
1: yeah which is which is really important i think um and especially because they you know each one is so unique and it's exact the same as a normal healthy thriving baby that they are all different and unique Um. Yeah, I think I think having had those precise moments documented, like well, obviously for me, you were there, um, and came in a couple of days later, um, just and photographed just myself and Axel, and then also if the parents are holding a memorial or a funeral, you know, offering to come in, you know, I think having once again had those moments is so important for me to look back on because if anything showing especially I think the funeral more than anything because it was such an emotional fueled day Mm. of having those final moments and that final honoring of him and you know it and because you're just, you're so in that moment of nobody else. Like I didn't even know half the people that were there in the room until I saw photos and I was like, oh my God, that person was there. Like I had no idea. So, you know, to then go back and actually thank them for coming. I had no idea. So I was like, oh, okay. So thank you for coming, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, in, and even though, um, oh gosh, I can't even think of what I was <laughs> going to say next but yeah I think it's just it's really important to kind of and you know have as many moments as you possibly can and whatever and it's things that you can think of if the parents don't even know what to do next and it's you know it's those other things or is their family coming in and having family photos are really nice I mean we only got like two photos taken by a midwife in the end with us all together. But I'm like, well, at least I've got photos of that. I think that was really nice and important to have as well. So,
2: yeah. Um, Yeah, I think now that you mentioned um, Arthur as well, there's so many questions that come up with um, parents who have lost babies who have older children. And it's like, well, and I'm kind of shifting gears and taking control of this here. (laughs) but, um, but with, especially with older babies, uh, a lot of times parents are like, well, do we tell them how do we, you know, how do we explain it to them? Do we use fluffy language or, you know, sugarcoat it? And, um, and just like, I have just learned through my own kids, how, um, extremely intelligent they are considering how young they are and how pure they are. Um, and so oh and I, and what triggered me to say this was communication. Um, so when you're in a space where a baby has died and the parents don't know what to do, and this is essentially what death literacy is 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 how we communicate about death between each other. So between each other as in uh, um, us with our children and, and t- teaching them about death, Um, and from photographer or doula to, uh, to parents about, about death as well. And so they might have absolutely no idea. Um, and just one simple thing that you say might completely change that entire situation. And so being well equipped and well knowledge,ed well, uh, being competent, I guess would be the better word in, um, in death and neonatal, um, deaths and, and stillbirths and, you know, all of the different forms that, um, that babies pass by is just making sure that we have enough knowledge to be able to relay that information. And look, if the parents don't want to hear about it at that point in time, they'll let you know. Um, and that's okay. Like, that doesn't mean that you should be offended. <laughs> it just means that they're not ready to hear that yet. And so being able to read emotional, emotional cues, um, for example, if I were to approach any woman after they've lost their baby and they don't look at me, that's an, uh, that is an emotion of a, a physical cue that they do not want to be approached. So that doesn't mean that I get to ignore that and approach them anyway that means that I get to read that body language and know that I need to piss off and that's okay too. So body language is really just as important as any other emotional cue in that space.
1: Yeah. And that, um, yeah, that just prompted me to think about the other thing that we were, um, I know that we've discussed before is, and we've also discussed with, um, Libby, who's a funeral director in regards to still going on language, is that you're always sort of cued by how the person, like the parents generally, um, how what their language is. So if they are comfortable enough, and I know that we've discussed this, Megan, is what are they comfortable saying? Are they comfortable saying, my baby died? Or are they comfortable with, oh, I lost my baby? Like, what is their wording? that they are comfortable enough using and then it's sort of trying to kind of go off that a little bit more.
2: Totally. And, and yes, reading that is, is very, very important, but I think um, taking this a little bit of a step further, as far as um, from family to friend to birth photographer interaction that is uh, definitely something that we should be listening for. But I think when you're in um, like a medical, a medical professional or um, sonographer or anyone else, and you say lost your baby, we know what that means, but like, Oh, where did they go? You know, like, and I know that that sounds really, really silly to bring up, but sometimes that you, you need to hear, exactly calling a spade a spade is, is what it is. And some people might not agree with that and that is totally okay. And this is why we are reading each other's cues and body language and, you know, verbal cues and all of that. Um, but yes, totally agree. What are you comfortable with? How are you saying it and following the parents lead in, in how they're accepting or not accepting of, of what's going on
0: it's really lovely to hear both talk about language it was one thing that um really led me to create the affirmation cards that I did because when I had my miscarriages I realized that people didn't understand what language to use and I even struggled within myself and the story that I was telling myself about my experience of my baby's dying and I really understood that the conversation started with me and if I could begin to recreate a vocabulary for myself, it empowered me to tell my story in a new way and to share my experience with others and to let them into that space in a way that I was empowered. Because sometimes I think in these experiences, we aren't in control and we aren't in a place of power and we lose parts of ourself through the things that happen and it can happen consciously and unconsciously but um it can be in the time after that we realize those things have been caught in the process of the medical procedures or the partners not being present or the things that we we regret that we let go of ourselves And I wanted to take a little, um, go off on a little bit of a side story here because Sarah and Lacey, uh, you are both very interconnected through um, Axel's death and you have a relationship that is unlike many other relationships and I think that people in the lost community only will understand the connections that you forge through being present together in death and in life and I think that's really beautiful um and Lacey I wonder if you would like to talk a little bit about some of your accomplishments in terms of sharing Sarah's and Axel's stories because I think that that has been a point of breakthrough in many people's own experiences in being able to see Sarah and Axel. And so I wondered if you would like to talk a little bit about that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I remember when I met you for the first time, Sarah, before our consultation ended, I guess you would call it a consultation. Um, the very last thing you said to me was you can share whatever you want. And I was like, what? I'm not even thinking about sharing right now. Um, and I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Like we can talk about this later. And you're like, no, it's fine. You can share whatever you want. I said, well, I'll run it by you first. And you were like, no, it's fine. I want everyone to know who Axel is. And that just like really burned in my soul. Um, because that's your story. And if you want to share it, then you should be able to share it. And so, um, I went on to enter one of Axel's beautiful images into our local state awards for AIPP, um, which you were present for to watch judging, which was totally a different experience on itself. Um, and I remember before you came I, I was going, Oh God, do I just tell her not to come because. You know, this is in front of five peers of my judges. They're looking at it technically. And, you know, if they slaughter it, or how is she going to feel? That's her image and her story. And I didn't want you to feel like. And you're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And so having your presence in that room, everyone felt it. Everyone knew it because people kept turning around because we were sitting in the back and they kept turning around to look at us and we're like, both sitting in the back, sobbing. I was <laughs> sobbing, um, and just to be able to, for you to be able to show me that support and and have that reciprocated, albeit in a in a completely different way, um, but that was incredible even for me, even if that had not been, that image had not been awarded and nothing had happened, um, that was an experience for me that I will never forget. And so, um, Axel's image did end up getting a 96 gold distinction, um, out of a hundred. I think there was probably only about 20 gold distinctions out of how many entries, 400 entries, which is pretty incredible. Um, and so then I entered it into the national awards, um, and it scored a 95, no, sorry, a 92, a gold, um, again, something incredibly difficult. Those entries then go up to about 1200 on a, on a national level. Um, and I actually won documentary photographer of the year. So very excited, but I think what's, More important about this story is not the accolades that I have received, but it's about sharing the story of, of death and birth and the normality of those experiences and the relationships that Sarah is forming with other people that don't even know who she is, um, and you know, if you want to share anything from judging and how the, that his image just brought everyone um, in that room, like it was, I can't even explain it. It was just such an incredible feeling, and it, it, it was a very safe space that room. Even even though there was about thirty people in there, it was just very safe.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was definitely quite an experience because it wasn't still that long after yeah. either it was like maybe a month i think so you know still really for me very even you as well like very raw still very fresh mm. um yeah so it, for me i was still quite honored to you know sort of come along and be invited to come along and support you because as you said like it was just nice to sort of reciprocate the support via being in two very different situations mm. but being able to give you back the support I think was really important. Um, But I also really love um, like every time you've spoken about something in regards to winning maybe an award or when they're being asked to go on the world stage with it. But every time you've, you've spoken to me, it's been, Axel has been, you know, awarded this, like you said, you know, you've always really utilized his name and that it being him rather than sort of it being either me or you. And it's, yeah, I think as the mum, I think that was like just coming back to wording and language and just certain things. It just really, really makes as a mum you kind of like, Oh, I'm just so like happy and honored and, Um, it's like, you know, you're a proud (laughs) mum. he's not going to, he's not going to be winning any soccer awards anytime soon, but you know, that's, for something that he still has been able to achieve through you, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is really beautiful. And, um,
2: yeah, I didn't even realize that I had worded it like that until you mentioned that, um, just now. But yeah, I think just the relationships that you forge through imagery and through the documentary in general like yes I'm a birth photographer but I more readily identify as a documenter um because that's essentially what I'm doing it's I am I am documenting things whether it be photojournalism or however you want to you know categorize it um and by sharing those moments of documenting you there's always going to be someone else that resonates with it there's always going to be somebody who has their own story to tell that they might not have told before Um, and i know that during judging there was some really incredible stories that were shared just from axel's image coming up Uh, and for the first time i think in a very very long time no one walked out of the room. No one came in. It was like this little bitty, sacred space bubble of safety <laughs> um and I think that it went on for about fifteen or twenty minutes. It was quite a long conversation uh and people just shared stories about how they had lost their babies and how they loved seeing this and and um and I think that is what the purpose of sharing our stories of loss is that it isn't shameful. You shouldn't feel guilty. There isn't, you know, anything wrong with you. You're not broken. Um, sometimes Mm -hmm. babies just don't make it. And sometimes we need to talk about it.
1: Yeah. And, um, even just like outside when we were like, you know, the photo goes up on the board and it's underneath the big gold distinction and that it was, and, you know, having, had a couple of the judges actually come up afterwards and not only just talk to you, but they were like, Oh, you're the mum. That's you. And, um, and then share some stories and like, give me a hug. And it was really, really nice. So, um, won't get into our awards night that we went to. (laughs) That was interesting. (laughs) Um, but it was such, um, you know, it was just being there at the awards and, um, yeah, I think it was a really, really special space. And as you said, like even just watching them sit down after they first awarded it and then it got challenged and then listening to them, um, the one who challenged it talk and say why, and it would have even gone higher if she hadn't have challenged if somebody else had a challenge because her score right. would have had to go up again. Um, cause obviously I think she would have definitely gone up again anyway, um, but yeah it's just it's, it was incredible to then let them they all went and looked at it again and they didn't even just look at it again they looked at it again and again and really looked at it um yeah which is was like you know I was just I was just, I didn't know what to expect and I was like wow just it, it blew me away um just how they all looked at it and handled it and talked about it it was pretty pretty amazing yeah yeah.
0: I think you summed up um, that last sentence just so beautifully that sometimes babies die and sometimes we just need to talk about it. And Lacey, I'm so, so grateful that we've been able to speak with you today and thank you, have you on the podcast. I wonder before we wrap up if there's anything else you'd like to mention, if there's anything you think that our audience should know no okay well we 'll chime in then because that was the that was what I just
1: was thinking about, so I know that okay we won't, we won 't delve too far into it, but for anybody that doesn 't know Lacey, Lacey is a major major active like advocate for that 's yeah that 's my word advocate for trigger warnings to um, you do not like trigger warnings, you do not like censoring. And for anybody that will say otherwise, you'll just go, well, just here's the door, walk out of it. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I know that it's come up, especially again, coming out of, um, pregnancy and infant loss remembrance day, we've had some massive shares and it all just went bananas and people just have their left and right (laughs) comments and things that they'd never say to your face. Um, but yes, we will we'll delve into that because I just think it's really important to understand what, why, by sharing, we're not doing. If we don't share, then you'll never know. And if you're by sharing, no matter what, you're still creating
2: awareness for people. Yeah, I think the thing with with trigger warnings, and this is what makes it really difficult, is. um, trigger warnings is basically a warning to let you know that something is about to come up that you probably haven't dealt with yet. Um, and it's going to trigger you to remember those things. Now, I'm not saying that I'm disregarding that by saying, I don't care what you've been through. Um, but I am saying that a trigger warning, anything, anything can trigger anybody. I, when I was, uh, 20 years old, I was in a car accident. It was a very, very cold night. It was rainy that night. Um, And um, one of the passengers passed away. And so for months after that, I hated being cold. Who's going to know that? So can I, do I move to a tropical island? (laughs) Wait, I did. I moved to Darwin. Um, But, you know, and and it's those little things about, well, do I need to then tell everybody that they can't have the air con on in their house because it's going to trigger me to that day again. And it's, you know, kind of the same thing when we're going into loss and stillbirth awareness is if we are censoring everything from, you know, uh, vaginas in, or excuse me, let me physiology, um, vulvas and things like that. Um, in, in vaginal births and we're censoring it and breasts and breastfeeding, like how is it ever going to be normal? How is it ever going to be talked about and, um, accepted in society? And it's the same thing with loss. Um, I am not going to censor a baby who has passed away, um, because someone else is uncomfortable. Well, I was pretty uncomfortable taking the photo, but I still took it because I knew what that meant to the family. And so when we start censoring and trigger warning things, how do you think the owner of that photo feels to know that someone that their loss has made someone else uncomfortable? And it's the same thing if you think of that backwards. So for women who have lost babies that are trolling Instagram, I'm not trigger warning my thriving baby photos because it's making my stillbirth families upset. And so when you think about it, everything is a trigger. So do we start putting trigger warnings on everything or do we just accept it and try to make the most of what we can out of it?
1: Yeah, and I think, yeah, just going on on the trigger warning part, Um, portion is that what I will always say, it's like, no matter what triggers you, it means there's something that you haven't dealt with. And that is regardless, social media will do what social media will do, which is just things out there. And as you said, something will always trigger someone. And that is your responsibility if it is triggering for you. And it's the same, even with this, like we know with the podcast, like it's going to be hard for people to listen to. It's not for everybody. But if it's something that triggers you, it means you need to sort of step back and be responsible for why is it triggering you, what do you need to deal with, Um, and then how to move forward with it and being able to not be triggered by things all the time. Because most of the time for me, it's always just walking around the street seeing a beautiful, healthy baby. So – and then before that, it was seeing – Um, traumatizing birth photos of something that I had been through before that because I had had the previous birth trauma and lots of different things or watching a movie where you're like, hang on, why is that all picture perfect? Because that's not how my birth went. (laughs) So yeah, it, it just, it comes down to you know, your personal things and what are you capable of? And sometimes if you're not in a good space, sometimes it's just good to step back and just not look at Instagram for the day. So
2: yeah. Or even to step back and reach out to a friend or a doula or a midwife or the attending, you know, whoever was there present with you, your partner and, and chat about it because when you finally identify what it is that is making you upset, And you are able to work through that, um, which usually it's just validation. When you feel unvalidated is usually when you feel trauma because you're made to think that you're wrong and you don't feel wrong. You just want to be validated. Um, And so usually once you find that, you're going to walk away and you're going to be a much happier person. And when I say happier, I don't mean like you're a sourpuss kind of thing. I mean you are physically going to feel lighter and happier and more energetic. Um, And that's just, you know, isn't that how we all want to be? Isn't that what our end goal is? Just float around on clouds with (laughs) unicorns. (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Lacey, for coming all this way to talk with us so openly and you've shared from a very beautiful space and um for people who haven't met you and this is my first impression of you but you're just a pillar of feminine power and you are just an amazing light in a space that has been neglect sorry i'm getting emotional <laughs> that has been neglected and that people haven't known how to talk about and you've stepped in in a really powerful way to bring new hope and to bring new language and for that I am incredibly grateful and I know that there are people who probably engage with you who haven't had the chance to listen to you and hear all of your methods and the things that you do and the beautiful intentions behind your work and I hope that they've had a taste of that today because it's truly Beautiful. I'm not sure what other word to use there, but thank you so
2: much. Thank you for having me.
1: And just to end so that if people haven't met you before and if they're not following you, which well, clearly they should be, um, where can they
2: find you Lacey? So you can find me on Instagram at Lacey Barrett photography. That's L-A-C-E-Y B-A-R-R-A double T photography, um, and the same on Facebook. And if you are a photographer or doula and are interested in any of my training, you can go to birth photographer.com.au.
1: Yes. And you have launched your own podcast as well. So, which we've been listening to, um, which is great. So, you know, obviously talking a little bit more on the birth photography side of things, but I, I like that you're starting to share Um, with some of your clients' stories and bits and pieces as well. So it's just a, once again, like what we're doing, it's just another platform to be able to engage and um, share with people. So it's great.
0: Yes. Thank you.
2: Thank
1: you, Lacey.
0: The information provided on the Still Mama Tribe is for educational and informational purposes only. The information is not a substitute for professional advice or care. Please seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional in the event that something you learn here raises questions or concerns for your health. Also, if you require support regarding your loss, SANS Australia has a national support line 24 hours a day. The number is 1300 072 637. Also, see our website for further resources and links for support. Now, today's episode is brought to us by Bouncing Back From Birth, and Bouncing Back From Birth is owned by the beautiful Brooke, so many bees in there, and Sarah, you personally know Brooke, and she is an amazing woman, and can you just, just tell us why we love her? Yeah, well, we love her and we all know
3: her. <laughs> um, Brooke is an amazing person who's created Bouncing Back from Earth And, you know, I don't want anybody to get, um, you know, the way the reason, the reason for us tying in with Brooke is that she is a firm believer in that all births matter. And now that is from... You know, it stemmed from her traumatic birth from with her first, but also for the fact that you know, you know, whether it be vaginal, whether it be C-section, whether it be going home without a baby or in arms, your postnatal recovery is so so important, and to look after yourself and to nurture yourself and making sure that you are healing. Um, So that's really really important. So that's why you know it's been you know, and not only has Brooke been an amazing person to. Be guided by in postnatal recovery this time for myself but also for the fact she's been an amazing friend so yeah so
0: she so, everyone <laughs> so Brooke sells um products on her website that help with postnatal recovery and also breastfeeding so if anybody would like to check out uh some beautiful products check out her website bouncingbackfrombirth.com
2: and you can check out all the links in the show notes for her special offer for our listeners.